Now we go back to our book of our study on the book of Genesis, and uh, we took a one-week break from last Sunday because it was Easter, and we I shared with you prior to that the three phases of restoration in the life of Jacob that we've been studying for several weeks now. We have come to know that Jacob was a supplanter, a deceiver, a grabber. Now, God had dealt with him. God had dealt with him in so many ways to get his attention. And finally, he is making that 180-degree turn. And he was about to meet with his brother Esau, who promised to kill him because he stole his birthright. So in that message I shared with you, first you have to face up to your fear. And many times you have to face up to your fear, you have to face yourself in the mirror because many times the problems you yourself have created. And then after that, you have to put your face down in humility. Jacob already had the limp by this time because he had wrestled with God and he prevailed, but what God did was touch the socket of his hip. And he had a limp. So it is quite difficult for him, quite humbling for him to be physically disabled at this time. But the Bible tells us that he bowed down to his brother Esau no less than seven times. And lo and behold, God had already been working in the life of Esau as well. And they have forgiven each other and they embraced each other and started kissing and Loving on each other, so to speak. And because of that, he, faced, he was able to face God in worship. Up to this time, up to the end of Genesis chapter 33, Jacob always referred to God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, but never was God the God of Jacob until the last part of Genesis chapter 33 where he built an altar and he said, El Elohi, Israel. God is the God of Jacob. God is now the God, the personal God of Israel. And lo and behold, we've sang about it. Did you listen to the music? Did you read the lyrics? The God of Jacob. God is now the God of Jacob. And after Genesis 33, the next time, you read in Exodus chapter 3 that God introduces himself to Moses. He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He had now encountered the grace of God. He had now had a personal encounter with our Lord God, and God changed him. From being a grabber, being a deceiver, he will now give what he promised to give to his brother Esau, he gave. As a matter of fact, he insisted. His brother Esau said, no, I have plenty. He said, please, please take my gift. Whereas before he would take, he is now a giver. Where before he would run away, he was now going back. Many times, you know, when, when we talk about our salvation journey, when, when we get an opportunity to share what God has done, we're so 
excited, right? Oh man, you know, God has really changed me 360 degrees. I said, what? 360 degrees? You're back, you're back to where exactly you were. Only 180, okay? Don't be overly excited. Just 180. God has changed my life 180 degrees. Not 360 because you're back to exactly where you were. All right? So we said that the grace of God really is transformative. He says you have to begin with God's Word and His Holy Spirit. And then you add on to this. It's like a recipe. You know, you have certain ingredients. And then God uses His Word. God uses His Holy Spirit. God will use people. And many times, what kind of people? Difficult people. And God sometimes will use circumstances. What kind of circumstances? Not so nice. Difficult circumstances. And then, the clincher. Many times, God will use time. Oh, that's okay, Pastor. I have lots of time. But with the Lord, the day is like a thousand years. In a thousand years, like the day. Hmm. Your timetable may not necessarily be God's timetable for you. But all this God will use for what goal? Transformation to Christ's likeness. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And if you and I are faithful to obey everything that God has commanded to us, God will transform us to the image and likeness of His Son. In the meantime, we need patient endurance to continue to do the will of God for so long as it takes, no matter what it takes, so that in the end, we will receive all that He had promised. Now we go to Genesis chapter 34, and I'd like to do some geometry for you so that we can appreciate our message this morning. What do you see here? It's like a graph, right? Two axes, right? And then, what is that line? Those are your expectations. And then you have another line. That is your experience, or that is your reality. And look, there is a gap. And what does that gap represent? That gap represents your disappointments. And when you have disappointments, when you see that your expectations, what you're hoping for, what you're asking for, what you're dreaming is not aligned with your reality, and disappointment comes in, may I suggest to you, temptation comes along with it. And because temptation comes along with it, many times, what we do is get involved in what I call deadly compromise. That is the topic of my message this morning. The title of my message is Deadly Compromise. Now, why is compromise deadly? First, let's make some definitions. Compromise. What does it mean? Accept standards that are lower than is desirable to weaken in the sense of a reputation or principle by accepting standards the lower than is desirable. What are some synonyms? Undermine, weaken, damage, harm, jeopardize, prejudice, discredit, 
dishonor, shame, and embarrass. When you hear the word compromise, there are a lot of applications. You know, my wife is very strict with the mail. You, you know, you have a lot of junk mail, right? I just toss it in the can. Toss it. But she, she wants to, you know, erase the name. There. Why? Because it might compromise where you live. You know what I'm saying? Your PIN, your personal identification number. Some of you, when you go to the ATM, especially if your wife is there. <laughs> Why? You don't want to compromise your security. Somebody might find out, right? When you cut corners, you know, let's not use that kind of a composition when we make the concrete. Because that kind of cement is very expensive. Let's just choose this one. Or let's put more water. And what happens? The structure itself is compromised. And when there's an earthquake, what happens? The whole building collapses. The Ruby Tower, those of you who are young like me. The Ruby Tower incident in Binondo, the whole building demolished. Why? It was compromised. The way that they constructed the building was compromised. When you accept standards below, when you are willing to accept standards lower than that is desirable, you compromise. And in their Christian life, we compromise. Look at this. Integrity means no compromise. The opposite of compromise is integrity. We are not willing to take any standard lower than what the Word of God says. To love Christ and to be characterized by ever-increasing fidelity to biblical truth is the heart of true integrity. Christian integrity has been defined as the absence of compromise and the presence of biblical convictions. In the words of the psalmist, it is to work righteousness and to speak truth from the heart. These are the words of John MacArthur. Not my words. But think about it. What will you and I base our convictions on if not the Word of God? He's speaking here of Psalm 15, I believe. Now, we have to base our life on the convictions that we have based on biblical truths. We always say we must walk the talk and talk the walk. That is being a person, a Christian of integrity. When we just keep on saying, but we are not doing, that is not integrity. And many of myself, don't do what I do, just do what I say. That is not integrity. That is teaching whomever you are teaching that kind of way to live. You're on Sundays, you're this person. From Monday through Saturday, you're a totally different person. That's not being a Christian of integrity. You have to live your life based on biblical principles 24-7. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. We shouldn't be like chameleons. We should be who we are. Born again, Bible-believing, God-fearing, God-loving children of God. 
Whether I'm in a nice situation, whether I'm in an adverse situation, I should be a Christian of integrity because compromise is deadly. Before we read the word, why don't we commit the time to the author? God Almighty, we thank you for our praise and our worship. Now, Father, we have an opportunity to worship you through your word. Allow us, Lord, to be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, to impress upon our hearts the areas that we need to address, that we need to be people of conviction, of integrity. And Lord, may this message this morning really wake us up from the compromises that we have in our Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 34. Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, or Dinah, however you want to call it, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the, priest, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay, her, lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. Now remember, when Jacob met up with his brother Esau, he asked his brother, can you please go ahead? I am old, I have a company, and the children, and the, my wives, and the maids are you know, weak. We're going to hold you slow. So go ahead, and then we'll just meet up. All right? And then he went to Succoth, and then he went to Shechem. And then in Shechem, he bought a piece of property, and he built a house. And then, lo and behold, now Dinah, or Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to what? To visit. Let's see what's going on. You know when you go to a new place, right? Oh, let's, let's go on this. What, what's over here? What's over there? And then, whom did she encounter? She encountered Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the land. And what did he do? Call it what it is. He raped her. Right? Shechem raped Dina. But look, the, the sequence is kind of weird. He first, look, he first rapes her. And then what? Weird, huh? He first rapes the girl and then speaks tenderly to her. What? Usually, it's supposed to be the other way around. Well, not rape, okay? First, first, you, you know, you court the girl, you get to know the girl, right? And then you fall in love, and then you propose, and then you get married, and then comes the physical intimacy side, uh, the honeymoon side, right? This guy is totally whack. He sees the girl, the girl is beautiful, he first rapes her, and then says nice things to her. Something is wrong here. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dina, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob kept silent until they came in. Again, you've already raped the girl. Now you're asking your dad, Dad, can you get her to be my wife? It's out of whack. It's out of sync. You don't do this this way. It is not 
Even just in decorum. You don't do this this way. But what can we learn about Shechem? He really loves this girl. That he would even go to his father, Hamor, and say, I love this girl. Dad, will you please get her to be my wife? Now, Jacob, he found out what had happened. But his sons were out in the field tending flock. So what did he do? He kept quiet. You know, sometimes when very adverse things happen to us, maybe because of fear of embarrassment, fear of ridicule, we keep silent about it. We sweep things under the rug. But the Bible says that all of this will one day be revealed. So it's really of no use to sweep things under the rug because eventually it will be found out. And from my little understanding, you know, when a rape occurs, sometimes the victim doesn't want to come out because in their mind, maybe I did something to deserve this. Maybe I was the one who enticed this person and this person did this to me because it is my fault. Dina was raped. Jacob learned about it. But in the meantime, he kept silent. Now, why? Why did this happen at this place at this time? May I submit for your consideration that part of the reason why this happened is because Jacob compromised. Genesis 33, Let my Lord pass on before his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure according to the place of the cattle that are before me and according to the place of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. What was his commitment? What did he say to his brother? Where was he going to meet up with Esau? In? In Seir. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, where he came from Padan Aram and came before the city. He bought the piece of land where he pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. What did he say to Esau? I'll meet up with you where? And where did he build the house? So, if you look at this picture, he's supposed to go there, down there. You see it in red? But where did he choose to go? He went to Shechem. And that's what happened in Shechem. Small thing. Come on. I only looked. I only tasted. I only read the article. It wasn't really adultery. It wasn't really pornography. It wasn't really a lie. I didn't really have sex with her. I just, you know? You compromise. And the little things end up usually in disaster. That's why we should learn to be faithful 
in the little things. In his mind, maybe, he really obeyed. But look at what the prophet Samuel wrote. As, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of lambs of rams. This is talking about King Saul. In his mind, he obeyed. Samuel told him, wait for me three days. I am going to be the one to anoint you. But he got scared because the enemy was massing. I said, Samuel is nowhere to be found. So I need to anoint myself. I'm going ahead. Anyway, it's going to happen. So I'm going to do what needs to be done because Samuel isn't here yet. God tells you to wait. God's timetable is different. You begin to be afraid. You begin to be disappointed. You begin to struggle with your weight. What do you do? You take matters into your own hands. And then when things mess up, guess who gets the blame? God. Or, the devil made me do it. You did it. You made the choice. God gave you a way out. You didn't take the way out. Don't blame the devil. Verse 7. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved. They were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. Those of you who have daughters, brothers, those of you who have sisters, if you find out that your daughter or your sister has been violated, you go through this well of emotions, grief, anger, disgrace. Many of you know what happened to the daughter of Pastor Peter. But God can use even the bad things in life to turn it around for His glory. What did they do? Hamor spoke with them saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Oh, now you want to marry her. Many times that happens, right? Lord willing, not to us. You get called into a situation in the middle of the night. You leave your house. You drive to your friend's house. Brother, What's going on? Uh, my daughter uh, spoke to me. And she confessed to me that uh, she's pregnant. Now what do you plan to do about it? What are they talking about? Well, uh, they're going to get married. They're going to get married. Does that change the fact? that they had committed sin because they engaged in sex prior to marriage? Sometimes it's better in not all situations, okay? Sometimes it is better because I've seen both spectrums. I've seen it work. They got, you know, they, they fell into sin, they got married, and it's okay. I've seen the other side too. They come to the parents they confess, 
the, the girl is pregnant, but they're too young. So they don't get married. And after they, come, they become more mature as individuals and as Christians, then they come together and they get married. And it still works out. But there are also some that whatever you do, it just simply doesn't work out. But Shechem loved Dina and his father Hamor. Will you please allow your daughter to marry my son? My son loves your daughter. So what if she's not of the same faith? They love each other. Love. What? Love is the great equalizer? Really? Look at the offer. Intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Oh, good deal, right? If I give my daughter to you, the rest of my children can intermarry with your daughters and my daughters can intermarry with your men. And you know, we can make commerce, we can make business, the economy will grow. What's the problem? Problem is this. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do you see the exact opposite poles? Light and darkness. Righteousness and lawlessness. Oh, God doesn't want me to marry. No. God wants you to marry a person of the same faith so that you travel along the same direction. If you marry a person who believes a different faith, you're going to pull each other apart. And because we are so in love, anyway, when we are married, <laughs> He has no choice. She has no choice. Man, you've already made a choice. And to heighten it, look. What harmony has Christ with Belial, an idol? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? It's no laughing matter. This is serious stuff. As one of our former elders would say, every date is a potential in-law. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. God's laws, His edicts, His word is there to protect you. It is there to bless you. But if you violate His Word, if you go against His Scripture, if you disobey God, you're in for a tough time. Because true blessing, if you really want true blessing, you have to start again. God's Word, God's Spirit, it has to start with God's promises. If you don't know what God's promises are, you won't be able to find the true blessing. You might be running after it in the wrong place.
begins with God's promises. And you have to do it God's way. Look at Shechem. He loved Dina. But how did he go about it? Wrong way. Wrong way. God's time. Again, time. Many times, the great equalizer. Wait. Ladies, if somebody is courting you and trying to convince you that if you really love me, you will go to bed with me. If you really love me, you will have sex with me. Because sex is the real prover of your love. Not true. If the person really loves you, you will wait. And he will wait. For the right time, when you are married as husband and wife, then you can engage in physical intimacy. Not before. Only after. There, there is no escaping the Word of God. If you do it before marriage, what are you? You're a fornicator. If you get married and have sex with somebody outside of the marriage, what are you? An adulterer. You cannot escape God. God has an answer for, all of, for everything. You cannot escape it. You just have to come clean with God. And then, you have to do it God's time, so that what you will get is God's best. But pastor, I'm pushing 40, and I still don't have a boyfriend. When is my God's best? Maybe God's best for you is to serve Him like the Apostle Paul. Single blessedness. I don't know. But follow God's formula. You know why? Let me share with you this one. You're free to choose, right? God has given you the freedom of your will to choose. Are you free to choose? Yes, but even if you are free to choose, you are not free. Free from what? Free from the consequences of your choice. If you choose right, you will experience the blessing. If you choose wrong, pain, suffering, torment, trial, tribulation could be in store for you. So do it God's way, based on God's word and in God's time, and you will receive God's best. Because, you, you, you know, the devil is out there to deceive us. He will not tempt you to do something that will cause you pain. He will deceive you into thinking that what you're going to do is really good and pleasurable and really for you. But what does the Bible say? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Man, you can be a straight-A student. You can be the best employee in the company. And if you hang out with the wrong crowd, uh, oh, he's a good guy. He has a nice car. He treats me, uh, you know, when we go out, it's on him. He treats me. Oh, really? What's his back? Oh, he's just a drug dealer. That's okay. But you see, I get the benefit. You know, I ride in his BMW, you know. Sometimes we go on his private jet, and then we have dinner on the, you know, Morton's Steakhouse, and this and that. He just happens to be a drug dealer. How about his friend? I see him coming in, nice hat, nice. Oh, he's a pimp. Hello? 
you spend time with people who are complainers. Just be honest. Are you affected, yes or no? Yes. You know, you're right. That boss, he's on my case too. You're right. You, you begin to absorb all of this. You begin to process. And later on, your perspective, little by little, it changes. That's why the Bible tells us, don't hang around with pugnacious people. Those who like to pick fights. Those who are irritable. Those who are complainers. Why? Sooner or later, my friend, it's going to rub off on you. Don't be deceived. You might already be in the process of compromising. And it's deadly. Back to Genesis 34. Jacob's son answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit. Because he had defiled Dina, her sister, they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for, what would be, for that would be a disgrace to us. The second part, yes. Correct? It is a disgrace to us. Why? Because the sign, the sign, okay, the sign that God told, that God gave to Abraham, is those who belong to God are circumcised. The young people just finished the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, we see this again. They said that for you to be saved, you must first believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then be circumcised, then and only then can you be saved. That is not the gospel. And if you believe that, you are not saved. Because that is a bogus gospel. They use the sign of a circumcision as the means, as a prerequisite, as a requirement to salvation. And that, my friends, is not preached in the Bible. Faith in Jesus Christ alone will save you. And if you are truly saved, God will change you, conform you to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. All you need to do is be faithful to obey. They answered with deceit. Oh, you cannot marry our sister. Why? Because we are circumcised and you are not. We are of this faith and you are not. Sounds good. But remember, they answered with deceit. Only this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us in that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give you our daughters, and we will take your daughters for ourselves. We will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, our daughter and go. We will agree on one condition. Let us have a compromise. You get the idea? If you will do this, let's bargain. Let's make a deal. Let's compromise. And besides, you can take what you want from us and we can take what we want from you. We can become one people. Only what is the cost? Intermarry. Did God say that we should intermarry? No. But, Shechem, I really love Dina. You know, sometimes love blinds you. You're so in love. You have been blinded. He's not really handsome. He just keeps on saying he's handsome. <laughs> you know, but because you love him, you know, wow, 
Even if it looks like Martin Marfil, okay. Right? Because I love him, Dad. I love him, Mom. He is the one. Okay. Now, I tell you, the devil will not tell you to do something that will hurt you. Now look, now their words seem what? Reasonable. Makes sense. Yes. We won't lo- we're not losing any. We're actually gaining. Because they have more than what we have. Makes sense. It's reasonable. Now their words seem reasonable to Hamor and Shechem. Hamor's son, the young man, did not delay in doing the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. You see? If you are a Christian and you are in this situation, you love the person. There's just one thing. The person does not believe in the same God you believe. The person whom you love is not a born-again Christian like you. Will you compromise? Will your love for this person overtake your love, your devotion for God? Whatever it is, a person, a thing, money, your car, your business, even your own children or your spouse, if that gets in between your relationship with God, that, my friends, is an idol. No matter how reasonable, no matter how sensible it sounds, you are compromising. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of the city saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only consent to them and they will live with us. Makes sense. Right? What if he said, you know, all we need to do is, uh, you know, be circumcised and then they will take everything that we have. They will take our daughters. They will take our treasure. Our part is just to be circumcised. Will you agree? One sided. Eh? But now, you see, let's exchange. Let's become one. Let's do commerce. We'll have grow our economy. We'll have, uh, you know, blue eyed babies. You come from the Philippines. You marry a blonde. Okay, why did you marry this blonde? Oh, because I want blue eyed grandchildren. Oh, does she believe that? Never mind if she is a Christian or not, because I want blue eyes. Blonde. Never mind, I love her. At what expense, at what cost, my friend? Look, he, Shechem, spoke to the people. Let's do this. He is their advocate. You know, if you have advocates in the office, legal aid, lots of problems. They advocate for people left and right. This guy, Shechem, he was advocating. Why? He loved Dina. Let's give in. 
let's give in, let's follow them. All they want to do is for us to be circumcised anyway. And then I can marry her. And you guys can marry their, wife, their, their girls over there. And their men can marry your daughters. All good in the hood. Come on. Let's do it. Why? Now their words seem reasonable. Why? Look at the last part. He was what? More respectful. He was more respectful in the household even than his father, Hamor. If you are a person of influence, you are respected. That's why people come to you for counsel. And Lord willing, you will give the right counsel. And the right counsel is that which comes from the Word of God. Do not give your opinion. Give God's opinion on the matter. But because he was respected, what did they do? It came about on the third day when they were still in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, and Dina's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and went forth. They agreed to be circumcised. And of course, they did not have Blue Cross. They did not have Kaiser during that time. What happened? When you're recovering from a wound, you're weak. Remember, they said, they answered with deceit. This was their plan. And then where they, when they were weak, recovering from their wounds, what happened? They were all killed. Every male. Were they satisfied with just killing every male and taking Dina? No. Jacob's sons came upon the slain, looted the city because they had defiled their sister, took their flocks and herds and their donkeys, which was in the city, that which is in the field. They captured and looted all the wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in their houses. One sin will beget another sin, will beget another sin, will beget another sin, and it starts with a little compromise. Deadly compromise for Hamor, for Shechem, and all the men in their land. Not only that. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. So is Jacob going to reap the consequences of the actions of his children? Yes. But what did the children do? They said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? The sins of the son are going to have consequences on the sins of the father and vice versa. Fathers, you have a responsibility to model integrity to your children, to model faithfulness to the word of God to your family. If they see us as the leaders of our homes making compromises, Making shortcuts. Dad, how much do you give to your tithe? Do you give 
Oh, I had to pay uh, taxes this year, so I'm uh, bargaining with God. I'll just give him 8 this year and 12 next year. All kinds of things. They're looking at us. The world is looking at us. This guy, he's a Christian. How do you know? Well, he's always okay, happy, joyful, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Huh? What? If you're a Christian and he's a Christian, why are you always grumpy, complaining? He's always happy and joyful and giving. You see? And you're not saying anything. You're just living out your life. But people see the disparity from his testimony and yours. Jacob's sons did not give time for God to move. They took it upon themselves to execute justice to Shechem and Hamor and the rest of the men. But what does God tell us? Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus said, Do not fear anyone who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. What can I do to a man? What can I do to my enemy? For all I know, God is planning something far more than what I can conjure up in my finite mind. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Friends, we need to leave room for God. Don't take matters into your own hands. Because of the disparity of your reality and your dreams, when disappointment sets in, leave room for God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. No matter what you're going through, trust the Lord because the best is yet to come. Today you may be down, but the best is yet to come. In the meantime, be steadfast. What I shared to you from the book of Hebrews, Patient endurance, obeying the will of God until you get all the promises. Don't give up. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on your situation. Don't even give up on yourself. God is not through with you. God is not through with us. Leave room for God. In the meantime, while you're waiting, be faithful. Look at this. Jesus says, He who is faithful in a very little thing, if you practice that, you will be faithful also in much. But he who is unrighteous or is unfaithful in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. 
common, tithing. If you earn $100, your tithe is 10 bucks. No problem. 10 bucks. I just won't drink my Starbucks and, uh, you know, my latte. 10 bucks. No problem. Then you get promoted. Now your salary is $1,000. How much is your tithe? $100. Oh, okay, I can live with $100, you know. I'm just going to scrimp a little on this, scrimp a little on that. Okay. $10,000 salary. Ooh. That's a lot of zeros. What if your salary is $50,000 a month? I submit to you, you will get your calculator. Which you have in your iPhone. $50,000 times 10%. $5,000. Am I supposed to give on the net or on the gross? <laughs> Wait, but I'm sending money to the Philippines. Does that count too? What's creeping into my mind? Compromise. If I give this to CCF, for example, oh, CCF has a lot of money already. Let's just give it somewhere there. Compromise. Compromise. You're no longer trusting God. You're trusting yourself. Be faithful in the little things. Then you will be faithful in the big things. If you are unfaithful in the little things, you will be unfaithful in the big things. Practice makes permanent, not perfect. It makes permanent. In 1986, NASA launched the Challenger spacecraft. Billions of dollars. It flew for all of 72 seconds. It killed all seven astronauts. Why did it blow up? Because there was a compromise. You know what caused the explosion of this multi-billion dollar rocket? And caused the lives of seven astronauts? What's that? Rubber O-rings. Perhaps it cost them only cents. The problem is they already knew of this problem nine years earlier. That under certain conditions, the fuel could leak and it could explode. But it had to be under certain conditions like freezing weather and all this and that. And in a sense, that day in 1986 was the perfect storm. Everything that they thought would never happen happened on that day simply because they chose to compromise on an o-ring deadly compromise deadly compromise when your expectation does not meet with your experience and you are filled with disappointments you have to follow for god's formula for true blessing God's promise, done God's way, in God's time, will only result 
in God's best. But friends, I want to let you know that many times what we perceive to be God's best in our finite human thinking may not be what we expect. You can be praying for the salvation or healing of a loved one and nothing is happening. You may be praying for someone and that person, instead of getting well, dies. Will you compromise? Will you let go of God? God, you didn't give me what I asked for. Therefore, I turn my back on you. My friends, people are looking at you. People are looking at me. For many of them, the only Bible they will ever read is your life. And what will they be reading? Will they be reading a life of integrity? Or will they be seeing a life of compromise? Nathan, can I ask you to turn off the lights? I want to show you a short video. Some of you perhaps already know about this child. Bogey, are ready?
I remember singing Jesus loves me. And you know I'm saved, right now I'm feeling pain. And when I prayed that, I truly felt the change. It didn't happen all at once, but trust me, things did change. I've never been the same since that day I called on Jesus. He changed my life in exchange for chains. He gave me freedom. I've been forgiven of every sin I've ever committed. Rid me of my ignorance, Father, and show me how to live it. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I hate this evil inside me. Provide me with your truth. Because the whole world is surrounded with lies. I know because I bought into them, they blinded me. Show me how to live. Redemption to the gospel end. Some of us know about the story of little Katie. Caitlin Lucas. She is the daughter of one of our members from CCF Manila. Her uncle was one of our worship leaders over there. She fell ill in January of this year. All the doctors in the Philippines could not diagnose what she had. She would not be able to eat. She would not be able to sleep. She would have lesions that would turn into black and blue. All kinds of stuff. Nobody knew. Lupus, cancer, they, they, they couldn't figure it out. They went to Singapore. And after a month, they found out that she had this radical type of uh, aggressive infantile leukemia. I don't know all the technicals. All throughout their ordeal, as a family, they posted on Facebook. It's like their blog. This is going on. That's happening. And finally, the Lord, in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, decided that it's time. So March 31, Katie left this world to be in the arms of Jesus. If this family had compromised, had let go their faith. What would the media say about Christ and His followers? Why the media? The media caught on. The radio, the newspapers, they began to cover Katie's story. Singapore News began to cover Katie's story all the way through her final demise. God's promises, done God's way, done God's time, will end in God's best. For the Lucas family, God's best for Katie is to relieve her of all the pain and suffering. To even heighten the family situation, they only lost their mother December 2015 after an eight-year battle with cancer. 
if you let go of God because you're encountering some difficulty in your life, because you're encountering some disappointment in your life, because you, your expectations were not met, how can people come to faith in Christ when they see, oh, you gave up as well? In the Philippines now, people are getting to know about Christ. People are getting to know about what it means to come into relationship with Christ. People are getting to know what it means to be saved. You saw that statement from a person. You see notes on Facebook, I don't know you, I'm not a Christian, but your daughter has inspired me to search for this God that you believe in, this God that you follow, this God that you worship. Friends, if you and I are going through something, you're disappointed. You Maybe you're even angry with God. Can I encourage you? Keep on obeying God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Even in death, courageous Katie, as they have put it, has been bringing people to Christ. Don't compromise. It's deadly. Keep the faith. Because in the process of your being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, despite all the odds against you, perhaps God will use you to bring others to His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God Almighty, we do not know how you operate. All we know is that you are a loving and gracious God and you know far better than what we know. So Father, we thank you for your word that encourages us not to give up but to persevere. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the Lucas family, for the example of young Katie who never gave up, who never complained, who encouraged her parents and encouraged a lot of people to come and get to know you in a real and personal way. God, let her example resonate in our hearts that we also live out our lives with integrity and far be it from us, Lord God, to ever compromise in the, against the word that you've given us. Allow us, Lord, to be real Christians who are devoted to your word, to love you, and to obey you no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. That I have for you flashed on the screen. Just two questions. In what areas have you been compromising? And second question, what is preventing you from following Christ completely? So if you could just be so kind as to go to your discussion groups and uh, have these questions. You know, again, we'd like to remind you, whatever you share stays in the group. Don't force anyone to share. And may I suggest that you keep your groups small, about five, six people, so everyone can discuss openly without fear of being gossiped, all right? Keep it within these walls. Have a good Sunday, everyone. God bless.